Good evening. It's the history of the Tottenham. I'm sorry it didn't cost 55 million, so it cannot be good. I will love it if we beat them. Love it. Some of the passing is fucking scratching. We are in Champions League, man. Dilly din, dilly dong, come on. Sit down! Sit down! He's 24 years old. For me, if he's not got it now, when is he going to get it? And I won more premierships alone than the other 19 managers together. 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 Welcome back, armchair managers. Uh, it's been an interesting weekend of European football. Today I've got me uh, Z and a couple of new guests. Well, one familiar, one new. Our first guest is a Sevilla fan. Joining us from Dubai, he's been supporting the club since 2002. He's even been to see their games, uh, home and away. Please welcome with us, Jeed. Thank you. Thank you very much. Cool. Welcome. Welcome. And of course, we've got back with us today, uh, Trish, uh, our, our like local Barcelona fan. Uh, how's it going, Trish? Uh, suffering, but doing all right. Not bad. Not bad. All right. Cool. Cool. So, um, as I said, we, we've we've watched a few games uh, over the weekend. I think the most notable, notable ones have been uh, Man City, Leon, Barcelona, Bayern. We're going to get those later. And we just watched as well uh, Sevilla defeat Manchester United in the Europa League to secure a place in the final. So uh, let's get started. Jeed, uh, what are your thoughts on the game? Honestly, it was nerve wracking to say the least. We didn't really play our best football, but uh, I think uh, Lopetegui did what he did best since the beginning of the season, and that's understanding the opponent, really just uh, you know playing smart, defending right, and I can't say that enough, defense, defense, defense is everything in Sevilla. And yeah, I mean, it would have been nice to see us control the ball more, but I'm not going to complain. We're in the Europa League final for the sixth time already. Yeah, I mean, people could argue it's your competition, you know? So it definitely is. <laughs> So, Z, uh, let's hear from you on the table. Like, how, how is that game for you? I know you're quite disappointed um, losing such a manner. But uh, uh, let, let's I mean, I mean, you know, we lost, we lost in a way that's been kind of typical if you look at uh, our matches throughout the season where we just, we just have lacked in the final third, uh, that clinical edge. Uh, I think we were caught sleeping, especially with that second goal and the first, arguably. Uh, with the first goal... I don't want to get into too many uh, technicalities, but it was definitely lazy play in the midfield, uh, as well as us being caught out with a simple one-two on Aaron Wan-Bissaka. And I think Sevilla, or they did what they do best. They were clinical. Uh, they created less chances than us. I think we had 20, but only eight of which were on target. And yeah, their goalkeeper was outstanding. But uh, yeah, he was absolutely brilliant and uh, well-deserved. Sevilla, I thought they, I thought they were full, full value for the win. Yeah, I mean, like, Juan Basaga had a really poor game today. Like, I mean, watching that ball going for the second goal, he's ball-watching, essentially. He should be doing better, shouldn't he? I mean, he, you know, as, as a, as a right-back, especially one that's uh, as defensive as Aaron Juan Basaga has been throughout his time in the Premier League, uh, it's understandable. He's, he's had to evolve and kind of learn quickly this season. Uh, adapting to Man United's uh, play, the way Solskjaer wants to kind of have his fullbacks be uh, contributing both both defensively and uh, offensively. 
And I think, uh, yeah, he, he was probably just gas bombing up and down the uh, right-hand side. But honestly, that cross shouldn't come into the box uh, to begin with. I think Brandon Williams gives Jesus Navas all the time that Navas wanted, and he comfortably gets that ball into the box. And we just didn't react quick enough. Uh, Luke de Jong was comfortably between our center halves, and it was a simple tap-in in the end. I don't think there's much De Gea could do about it either. Yeah, I mean, I, I also I noticed like Brandon Williams was getting was getting bullied on that left hand side. Like, is Luke Shaw injured? Like, wh- where? How come he wasn't present today? Luke Shaw has been injured since the game against Southampton. I think he did two or three ligaments in his ankle. He wasn't even in, included in the Europa League squad. So we've had one out and out left back uh, in the squad, which is why Brandon's played so much football. And you know, I mean, th- he is suspect at times because. Similarly to a famous Dennis Irwin, he's a right-footed left-back. So there are going to be situations where, you know, he's going to be showed up and that weakness of him being on the wrong side, you could say, or an inverted side, can be uh, exploited. I mean, in, in your own words, would you say this, like, this defeat is down to the players or all these uh, tactics? Like, where would you place the blame? Um, if I any. think tactically we were fine. There wasn't there wasn't much. We didn't really let Sevilla get into their rhythm, play their own game. Uh, they had more of the ball, which we which we expected going into it. But uh, I think outstanding defensively, Sevilla. They had at times five to nine men behind the ball every time we kind of pressed them in their own uh, their own final third. They blocked. They blocked and they put their bodies on the line. They defended with their lives and credit to them. That's that's how any good cup winning side should defend as a team and when they countered they supported one another it was it was like watching a well-organized uh, machine you know especially when in their patterns of play which which is something that we've only seen improve from man united when bruno's come in in january prior to that we haven't really had any uh any patterns in our midfield in our possession build-up it's we, we, we've we've kind of taken on a lot of new things this season you know playing out the back uh, being comfortable uh, when we're being pressured on the ball, and which is something I was nervous about with Fred, because we all know Sevilla love to press uh, in that final final third uh, yeah. part of the pitch, and Fred Fred has been suspect as well as Pogba when they have their back, uh, well, when they're facing towards our goal and they get pressed, and you know they're they're suspect to losing the ball. But I think honestly we did quite well. The only thing we lacked was quality in the final third. And actually, to, just if I can jump in here, I think that's uh, that's what I was worried about going into this match. I mean, Sevilla, if you watch the last 20 matches, so right now we're at 20 games without a loss. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, the way we've been able to do that is the high press. And I knew going to this game that Man United is, is also, the last few games have been really mastering that play. And once the game started, I saw it and I was like, shit, this is going to be a lot harder than anyone ever thought at, at Sevilla. And that was where the challenge was. Now, luckily, Navas, I mean, being probably the right back of the season in La Liga, his pace, I mean, at 34 years old, he's still as nimble as could be. And I think his his ability to dribble and to, and to contain and to keep the ball, coupled with Banega's ability to find those long passes. I mean, Banega's where I'm really sad he's leaving us. But that that coupling of Banega and, uh, and Jesus Navas, that's really our strength. Uh, throughout the season yeah i mean fair enough like um honestly i I, i've been watching Sevilla in the last few games and i've been really impressed like of how fluid your attacking movement is i know like lopetegui has been in this job less uh, a year now or more than a year yeah just about a year i mean he started this season so 
Yeah, so like, talk to us about his philosophy. Like, how, how is this is this playing style something that's new to Sevilla, or is it part of uh, you know your club's DNA? Honestly, it's it's completely new. And Lopetegui, you know, had his critics when he came in. I was one of them. Uh, I was when they announced Lopetegui as the manager. I was extremely unhappy. I looked at him as the Real Madrid reject. I mean, when he was the manager at Real Madrid, we beat Real Madrid three nil, uh, almost was it three nil or three one, three one, I think, uh, last season. So. When they got him, I was just really concerned uh, that we would be, you know, complete shit defensively. Uh, and he turned out to do exactly the opposite. I mean, for the past couple of years, Sevilla has been fairly strong in the offense with Wissam Ben Yedder, with, uh, you know, we, we've had, you know, strong offense, even Immobile at, at some point. But where we lacked was defense. And if you look at our... our um, the goals that we conceded last season, you know, we lost against Barcelona 5-0 twice and we lost against Real Madrid 5-0. You know, we'd have these ridiculous like defensive record uh, over the last couple of seasons. But this season, you know, yes, we did have one bad loss, 4-0 uh, against Barcelona. But even if you look at that, it was really hard to say that it was completely the defense's fault. But overall, you know, defensively, we've been extremely solid. And that's something that's completely new to Sevilla, playing this high press football with, uh, you know, not really playing on counters usually. That's why today was very difficult uh, because we don't really have the same kind of running and pace that a lot of other teams have in La Liga. We've been able to control the ball, the ball and have, you know, 60, 50, 70% possession uh, and just like slow, slowly build up and score. So Lopetegui really came in and, and changed our football completely, honestly, and for the good. No, yeah, I, I agree. I agree. Um, you know, it's it's really interesting to see uh, the effect that Lopetegui has had at uh, Sevilla because, like you mentioned, yeah, Real Madrid, he was very, like, the team were very poor defensively under his management, but I think he showed a lot of pragmatism, a lot of, uh, a lot of understanding for a squad that he's only had under uh, his management for a very short amount of time comparatively, and he's got you guys playing some really good football uh, defensively on the counterattack, uh, I think at times you guys also play with the back five, if I'm not wrong, Jeet? Uh We actually did that a lot last season. This season right. we've been playing with, you know, four or sometimes three, depending. I mean, it depends on how you see Navas. Navas, mm -hmm. he's a, he might be a right back, but he's a right winger at heart. And that's... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, today, like, he was twisting Brandon Williams uh, inside and out on that right-hand side, like, and, and he defended as well. I think it's just uh, one, of the, one of the other factors that I probably attribute, uh, you know, obviously... The goals are all that matters in a game of football, especially in knockout football. But I think the way that uh, Sevilla kind of had their game management, they knew how to manage their fouls. They knew how to kind of play uh, to the referee's hands, even though a lot of decisions, especially early on with us getting the penalty, didn't go uh, Sevilla's way. Even though yeah. I, I obviously, I think Jeed would agree it was a clear-cut penalty. Um, yeah, it was a bit late on Rashford. But um, other than that, I think... Sevilla are far more experienced as a team. I think you have, you know, the likes of Eva Banega, Navas, uh, and, and seasoned pros in this competition and in football in, in terms of their careers, whereas I think it's a very young United squad, you know, the average age of, I think, uh, just over 25, uh, with our oldest player on the pitch eventually being Juan Mata when he came on. Yeah, I mean, that's true. Would you argue that, like, for some of the players in the United squad today was, like, a, a game too big for them? Uh, no, I, I, I don't think any game is too big for any Man United team. I think uh, they just weren't up for it. I think 
they they wanted it, but I don't think uh, their desire quite matched up to the challenge that Sevilla posed. Um, ultimately, that's football, right? You you can huff and puff and stick your chest out all you want, but in the end of the day, results are all that matters. Goals count, and we weren't able to get the goals, and Sevilla were. So it's simple as that. Uh, Sevilla outclassed us. I think that um, the the goal that Dijon scored. It was uh, all down to, I think, a defensive mistake because he was clearly open in the box. That second goal shouldn't have happened. I think if that goal didn't go through, United would have had a good chance finding it because once that goal went in, it was scrambling all over the midfield, just passing the ball around somehow, trying to get it to the wings, into the middle. Dan James came on. But I think if that goal hadn't gone in, um, uh, I would have been sure that United would have won this game. Yeah, there's there's probably a good chance, but you know, ifs and maybe it maybe is like after the yeah fight. exactly yeah it's just hindsight bias. I think uh, yeah we were caught sleeping. It could be down to fixture congestion. We played a lot of matches, but there's no there's no point making excuses. Like it's all that matters is what you do in the ninety minutes, and we know that from our you know storied history as a club in Europe and domestically. And I think Sevilla with their record, what five Europa uh, wins. Five Europa League wins. Uh, it shows that this is their competition, like Jeet said, and full credit to them. Uh, I'll probably be backing them in the final. Would love to have you backing us in the final. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I think you have a great chance. I mean, uh, the way you play, you, it, it shows that you know how to defend as well as score the goals, and those are the two most important things in any football game. I mean, I, I've honestly said I th- I thought from the beginning of the game, or even before this match, that the the winner between. Uh, Sevilla and United will likely win the competition. Uh, no disrespect to Inter or to uh, Shakhtar, Shakhtar Donetsk because they're, they are strong teams. I mean, if you look at now how many games they've gone undefeated, I think United was, was it 24 matches undefeated? Uh, yeah, in the, in the league, uh, but we did lose that semifinal to Chelsea as well. Yeah, but I mean, still, like the, the team has just been, you know, winning, 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 winning. And Sevilla's gone 20 games uh before this match, it was 19 matches undefeated. So I think we went in both teams really yeah. with final mentality. And the other the other aspect of this right now is all four teams in the Europa League right now uh, have already qualified to the Champions League next season. So True. they're really looking at this trophy as, you know, this is just for the cabinet. It's not, they don't have that extra motivation of, you know, this is going to be the Champions League winner uh, or this is going to be our ticket to the Champions League. I think if Roma was in it, or if uh, you know any other team that was that hadn't qualified to the Champions League, I think they would have much more hunger to win it. Not yeah. to diminish the Europa League, obviously I'm a big fan, <laughs> but yeah. at the same time, there's always that bit of motivation, and uh, that's why I think today was a really open match, and you could see it the moment the game started. And I think tomorrow will be the same thing between Shakhtar and uh, and uh, Inter. Yeah, no, I definitely agree with that. I think. Uh... It definitely, uh, when you have more on the line in a knockout cup match, it, it definitely changes certain dynamics uh, in how both teams approach the game. And today it was, I, I, I agree, I think it was a much more open game because both Sevilla and Man United have qualified for Champions League next season. And this was more about who wants the silverware, who wants to be in the final more. Yeah, and I, mean, I think just to like add on to Jude's point about silverware, like I think for some of these teams, or at least some of these players or even managers, like, Oli, for example, like he hasn't won a trophy with United yet, so obviously that's going to add more like importance or more pressure on him uh, to deliver, right? Don't you think so? I mean, he's a Man United manager. The pressure is constant. I think it shows how Jose Mourinho looked 
before and after he had the job. <laughs> like what 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 the job that Man United can do to you, uh, Louis Van Gaal. I mean, I think David Moyes aged about a century while he was managing, and it was only about nine months. Uh, the pressure at Man United is the same as it is at a club like Barcelona, at a club like Real Madrid, uh, at any top uh, club, and arguably even uh, you know Sevilla can fit into that bracket in terms of Spanish teams. I think they're probably in that second tier at the moment, uh, just under the likes of Atletico, Barcelona, and obviously Real Madrid. But uh, the pressure at any club that wants to compete for Champions League, wants to complete, compete for a place in European football and challenge for uh, their league title, it's always going to be great. And no greater than at Manchester United. I think Solskjaer, he knows that. He's been in and around the club well over uh, 14 years as a player, as a coach, and now as a manager. And uh, he knows full well what this means. The question, I think isn't about Solskjaer. I think it should be more about the players, whether their ambition is equal to the expectation. And that's something that I think Solskjaer, will, Solskjaer and this squad will have to prove over time. Right. I understand. And yeah, I mean, as I said in the beginning, like it has been a kind weekend of European football for English teams. <laughs> uh, another team that's been knocked out is Manchester City, who I think we were all betting on to, to beat... Uh, no, the only thing, the only thing, the only thing that didn't happen was Memphis didn't get his hat trick. But I know, I know that's what we talked uh, about in the last. I podcast. think, I think, I think the curse of the sky blue noisy neighbors in Europe will continue for many, many years. If I can have my way, you can't, you can't buy everything. I think you know. You think they are Uh Yeah, I, I, I think, I think there is some voodoo on. going on. I think uh, Sheikh Mansour messed with uh, someone way back in the day, and it's 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 it was a European woman or some I don't know. Because <laughs> it looks like they just can't get to the semifinal. I, I believe Pellegrini was the last manager at City to do it, but they've never gone beyond. So, uh, seven hundred million net spend for Pep Guardiola and quarterfinals—the furthest he's ever gone in Champions League. So, and, and funnily enough, I think they mentioned that. Uh, the two goal scorers, uh, Cornet and um, Moussa Dembele, Dembele. Mm-hmm. had previously scored against Man City in, in like previous meetings. Uh, I believe it was two years ago. Yeah, they played each other in 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 Champions League. Yeah, yeah. But like, like, what a prophecy, man! I mean, I don't know. I, I, I'd, I'd love to hear from Trish. Like, I, 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 yeah. uh, I was a, a few people. A few people will know that I, I kind of. Tip this weekend to be the final, uh, the kind of last dance of tiki taka football in Europe, and I think uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm interested to hear your thoughts, Trish, because you know with the, that historic defeat, colossal defeat, and I know you're hurting probably as much as I am today. But how do you feel? How do you feel about tiki taka overall uh, with Pep City and your your beloved Barcelona? I I don't know if I'm hurting as much as you. I think. Uh... Eight two was a two legged two legged defeat. Um, in one leg, I got it in one leg. I got it within ninety minutes. Um, I think it's not the death of Tiki Taka. They're great teams. Um, I mean, Lyon play the same way. They move the ball around. Sevilla did that today. Lavategu is known for playing that with the Spanish squad, having that DNA. And I don't think it's the death of it. I think it reminds me of the time after Pep Guardiola left with Tito Mar- uh, Tata Martino and all those coaches trying to use that same play, but they didn't know how to. Uh, and other teams could make it very obvious and they could read us and it made it very, very obvious. But I don't think it's the end of it. 
I think football has changed a lot. Um, athleticism over technicality. And uh, I think Tiki Taka needs to evolve as well. I think Pep is trying that, but I think Liverpool is the team that has done it the best so far. What, what, what do you think, Jeed, as a La Liga fan? Do you agree with Trish? Yeah, I mean, Tiki Taka has like, been kind of on a decline. I think that's something that could be... If you look at last season and this season... Uh, Barcelona, the masters of Tiki Taka, and they've been, you know, failing miserably at uh, quarterfinals and semifinals, and that makes me happy. You know, like I'm not a Barcelona fan, to be honest. <laughs> I think, but I think Barcelona's failure is not up to the way they play; it's the players they buy. Yeah, it, they're I think just so not buying buying into the system. I can pick up regular twenty year olds, twenty one year old players that are in the Spanish team playing in the youth division that can do a way better job than Antonio Griezmann, Coutinho, or Dembele. But we spent $400 million on those three players alone when we could have built the entire defense. See, see that's the thing. I mean, we all talk about managers and players and uh, you know, fans and the culture, but we don't genuinely don't talk about the director of football, the sporting director. Oh, yeah. Sevilla, I would owe this season like 50% to Lopetegui, 50% to Monchi. Monchi did... Fucking amazing job this season. We spent 110 million uh, euros overall on 13 players. Next. Brilliant. Brilliant. I mean, 13 players that were young, either in the youth squad of whatever team they're in, or yeah. you know, just different places around the world. But getting players like Diego Carlos, like Conde, like uh, you know, Munir Haddadi for what a million euros? Uh, Daylight robbery. We literally took players for like a million for pennies, and I think the he just saw and the the scouts that we have at Sevilla right now they just looked and they saw the talent in these players and they made connections and were able to really build a team, and that's definitely I mean this is not taking away from the coach and his role in the team, but definitely the the, the sporting director and director of football and the and the scout and the the scouts they have a big part to play and Barcelona the way I see it. They haven't really done that right lately. I feel like Barcelona really just reacts to what fans want. You know, fans want... Oh, definitely. I, I look at... I mean, Monchi has helped Barcelona more than he has... You know, Ab Eric Abidal has done. Adriano, Dani Alves, Baptista, uh, you know, Seydou Keita, Ivan Rakitic. All those players have come to Barcelona, have helped Barcelona win Champions League, have won several trophies, but... I think Eric Abidal, the way I see it, he's just a puppet for the current board. Well, current president. And, you know, I, I recently I heard from a really good friend of mine in France that Thierry Henry was traveling to... Uh, <laughs> uh, and Ronald Koeman was spotted at the airport today. So they don't even have a candidate to replace Satyan. They're just playing around to see who will take the least wage and be a puppet for the team. And it's honestly sad. Which is interesting, Trish, because um, you mentioned how Eric Abidal is more or less uh, a puppet uh, to the board and uh, whatever the fans want and, and the swaying, the ever-swaying politics at uh, FC Barcelona. Jeed, I wanted to ask you, uh, I, I agree with you. I think Monchi's an outstanding director of football. And I think, you know, recruitment is, I think, at this stage, uh, at this, in this current era that we find ourselves in, in uh, European football as a whole, both in Britain and uh, continental Europe, I think recruitment is more crucial than it ever has been. I think the, the kind of spotlight is on how clubs go about rebuilding and uh, 
kind of uh, scouting and bringing in the right uh, appointments, not just on the pitch, but also uh, within coaching and scouting departments. Control. Control is something that comes to my mind because, like Trish said, at Barcelona, it's, it's, it, can be, it can be argued that the control isn't in the right hands. Do you feel that Monchi perhaps has much more control as director of football at Sevilla than uh, other directors, technical directors, sporting directors at other clubs may have? Oh, 100%. And that's, Monchi only came back to Sevilla because of this kind of rule. And uh, because our president currently, and this is where I'm a little worried because we have elections coming up, uh, but President Castro right now in Sevilla is, he is not a, a super fan. He's not a footballing fan. He is a, an administrative uh, official and he's very good at it. He delegates really well. So the president does not get involved with any shit. You know, he doesn't look at the newspaper and say, oh, we want to buy this guy and this guy. Monchi takes that decision, you know, and, and right now we have elections and there's news of, uh, you know, Del Nido coming back to becoming president. And he is a super hardcore Sevilla fan. Uh, he's actually just came out of jail recently because of uh, what? Wow. a lot of other issues, embezzlement. And uh, so right. he's the same way. Like He likes to get involved and make decisions and, you know, buy players. And, you know, he shouldn't. A, a president should not be that, should not do that role. A president should really disconnect and become and be a professional administrative, um, uh, what do you call it, uh, faculty member. Right. Whereas director of football, like Monchi right now, has full control. And you can see us reaping those rewards, getting amazing players for really good deals and really building a young squad. You know, it's not we're not focused. We don't have one star on the team that shot, outshines everyone else. They all play together well. It's a team. It's one unit as, as a collective. Yeah, it was definitely clear today. Our, yeah, I think they've got a good system going as well. Uh, with with their kind of transfer committee and and the and the method that they go about kind of uh, scouting and and uh, acquiring players, do you feel then there is a danger that you know with with these elections coming up at Sevilla that that control could kind of be shifting or it could become a little bit of tug uh, a tug of war of power? Yeah, definitely. I mean, Monchi and Delnido don't really have a history of hating each other, but uh, right. Delnido definitely likes to get his fingers in wherever he can. He likes to. <laughs> get involved and and make his voice known he likes to be that you know that godfather figure i mean he acts right. like a godfather mm. so i would hope that the the board will look at this really objectively and say you know castro has been for the past couple of years the best president we've had in ages and there's no reason to have him out even though he's not a huge fan or a huge football fan he does his job really well and that's you need people like that in your club and i think barcelona needs someone like that in their club Definitely. Right. So, shall we shall we get into Barcelona that game now, or? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Trish, what do you think? Uh, what What do you think that showed us on the pitch? I mean, now that's uh, I believe four consecutive seasons that Barcelona have crashed out at uh, just short of the final in the quarterfinal, or whether it be at the semifinal, and conceding goals, conceding many goals. I think last season with Liverpool, winning three 0 in the Camp Nou, and then going 4-0 down at Anfield. It was it was another historic defeat, but this this is this is something that's even tough to take from a neutral perspective, I think. Whether you follow uh, the club, whether you follow La Liga or not, I think the whole world was watching as it was a clash of two European giants in Bayern and Barca, but that scoreline, I think it's going to it's already doing the rounds in social media. What's your assessment? I think uh 
I the only person I feel bad for in all honesty is Messi. I don't feel bad for the rest of the squad for the way they've played and I don't feel bad for Barcelona because they've had the chance to re-elect the president. They had a vote of no confidence and they ended up electing the same guy again. Mm-hmm. Um, after calling the vote of no confidence, it's just and over over the course of the year you can see how much money Barcelona has spent. Andre Gomes, Malcolm, all those players ended up staying maybe one season, some of them half a season. And it was just it's just poor mismanagement. If people don't see that, then I don't know. Maybe they're blind to spend $400 million on three players where we knew that PK was aging. Lenglet has been the only great signing. Umtiti doesn't want to play anymore. He's just racking up his salary. Uh, Jordi Alba has been awful since the Liverpool defeat. Tamedo has done well, but uh, he doesn't get the right backing. Busquets, same thing. He should have left the club. Rakitic should have left. I don't. I can't. I don't know. Barcelona's board thinks that you can buy big name players and somehow Messi's going to be happy or the goals will start coming in, but they truly don't focus on where the the need is in the team. And like we were talking about Monchi, uh, Barcelona's sporting director, like I said previously, is just a puppet. Whatever the big name comes up, you splash big cash, and the fans won't fire the board or they call for no confidence, everyone's going to be happy that Griezmann showed up or Coutinho showed up or Dembele showed up. But... Coutinho definitely showed up. Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> I think, and I was very happy for him. I was hoping that Coutinho would come on and to see him score two and assist, uh, <laughs> it, it, it highlighted for me the problem I've been saying to everyone in my community for almost four or five years that it's not going to work. This president, same with Sandra Rosell, it's not going to work. But you know, honestly, since since the Neymar um, since Neymar moved to PSG, it's honestly feels like a trend that fans demand these ridiculous, expensive players, uh, even when they don't need them. I mean, Barcelona. I don't. I haven't seen a Barcelona who that have. Uh, a problem with offense in the last five years. So yeah, this constant change has been really weird. When you look at how, sorry, how shit the defense has been. But think about it. Like every time we lose to, we lost to Liverpool, we go buy a big player. We lost to uh, Napoli, uh, Roma, we bought a big player. It, it's just so the board stays in power to just keep people happy. Oh look, we spent 130 million dollars. Uh, we can fix this. And they literally fooled all the Sosis and the Kules for three, four years, like continuously. And it just, it's so bad. Um, so my question is, uh, previously, when we saw arguably the greatest football side I've seen in my, you know, relatively short lifetime, uh, the Barcelona team under Guardiola, the one that defeated us, Man United, that is, in two consecutive Champions League finals, uh, 2009 and then later on in 2011 uh, you had a combination of uh, great acquisitions as well as exceptional players graduating from La Masia Uh, we haven't really had a generation such as that you know at Man United we had the famous class of 92 and now we're having a a surge of talent come through our academy and the likes of Mason Greenwood of course Marcus Rashford Paul Pogba was also in the academy and you know, we're seeing a kind of embedding of the culture through the values of the club brought up through its academy and graduating into the first team. We haven't, we haven't really seen that trust put in youth at Barcelona. I know, you know, there oh, yeah. are 
exceptions with uh, uh, Puig, I think that's how you pronounce it, mm-hmm. and a couple of others. Obviously, Sergio Roberto is a graduate from a few seasons previous. Ansu Fati, of course, the youngest kind of hot young talent for Barcelona at the moment. But the average age, I, I believe, is around 32 of the first team. Yes. That, that shows, yeah. that shows uh, uh, I mean, the majority of your midfield. And, of course, Leo Messi is also 33 himself. It's not going to be able to perform at the top level required, uh, especially now at Champions League. Like, to win the Champions League, to dominate La Liga, you're, you're going to need a lot more legs, energy, yeah. exuberance, and uh, pressing power. What do you what do you what do you pin that down to? That's down to trying to relive the nostalgia, I think, and just signing players to fit the holes. If you look at the Bayern game, oldest players on the field were Lewandowski and Boateng. The rest of them were under thirty. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't I don't remember any player that was maybe even over twenty five or twenty six. Gnabry, Coleman came on. Coutinho was probably twenty eight, so he's a little bit older. That entire team was so young, and these guys could not compete with him. Samela was running up and down, but <laughs> and Bayern knew that all of that PK was the weakest link. So if they put all their goals and attacking power from the left side, they will score, and that's where it all came from. Because they knew Langley was guarding Lewandowski, and like Zaran, you said about the trust. I can name you players that are better than Griezmann that are in the academy right now. You could have had Ansu Fati playing or Colado playing. Colado is like a copy of Lionel Messi and he's been doing it on the B team still hasn't graduated because they're trying to keep him in the B team and now he's actually asking to leave um, yeah. there are better players in Rakitic you have Alenia playing but now he's on loan you have Rafinha, Rafinha Thiago's brother who plays way better than him who's at Celta de Vigo but now they're training back they're, so we have the players we have the resources there's no trust and that comes down to the board who have all the power Valverde was a puppet because when you buy a player like Coutinho, he's just given the player and he's like, hey, a lot of money is riding on him. Play him. Make it work. Make it work. You sign Griezmann. You say, hey, go ahead. Incorporate this guy somehow. He plays center forward, but try him on the left wing. We'll make it work. It just doesn't make sense. We need a coach. And the reason why Xavi and Puyol, Puyol was supposed to be our director of sport. He said no. Pep Guardiola said no. Pep Guardiola left Barcelona because of Sandro Rosell and Bartomeu. He was like, I, I don't want this because they wanted too much control. Xavi said no. And he didn't want the job because he wants total control of all football. And they said no. You've got to really ask questions about Barcelona and, and how the team is being run in an administrative point of view. Because when you look at someone like Arthur, now I know he hasn't performed to the best, most possible amazing level, but... I was really shocked that they would, you know, switch him for Pjanic. You know, a player. I would have never sold him. I would have never sold him. It was a very weird move, and honestly, I was extremely shocked by it. And even with you know the 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 trend and how things are going, Pjanic was just not a player I would have envisioned Barcelona to want, especially with the the talents they already have in midfield. You know, it was a very strange uh, decision to make. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's a head scratcher. It it didn't make any sense from uh, any footballing perspective. And the reason why they did that was because they bought him before the deadline, so it counted as previous year's budget for Barcelona, which they balanced out so they don't have to record it on financial fair play, and they start renewed from this summer with a blank check, basically. So they balanced that book by doing selling Arthur. That's why it wasn't a direct swap. 
it was we are paying 77 million for our uh, Pianic and you are going to pay 60 million for Arthur. So Juventus are also corrupt. Yeah. They balanced the book as well. And Barcelona got their ba- book balance because of that trade. So it Not was a dodgy transfer business. Oh, definitely. I told you about Paulinho. We bought Paulinho for 20 million from uh, Gongzhou in China. And Bartomeu sold it back to them for 40 million, a 31 year old player. And the reason is because Bartomeu himself has shares of that team and he profited from it. Outstanding. It's just corrupt. It's, we're, we're reaching the Italian level corruption at Barcelona. So there's, there's obviously clearly many things to address, uh, many leaking kind of holes in the tank at Barcelona. My next question to you is I think the one that's on everyone, everyone's minds when it comes to Barcelona. Lionel Messi, Leo, the great Leo Messi. He's 33, approaching probably the last kind of swan song of his career at the very top level. Do you see him staying while the club is clearly going through these rebuilds? I mean, he stuck it out for four seasons. He even gave a famous kind of uh, speech that went went all over uh, the Twitter sphere of promising the Champions League to uh, the Barcelona fans. But clearly, it doesn't seem. It seems you're way off the mark as a team, as an organization. Do you see Messi sticking it out and remaining? He's on the final year of his contract. Or do you see him potentially doing the unthinkable and moving elsewhere? I, I see people saying that he's on a final year of his contract. He actually has a life contract. So he's able to leave the club at any time he wants for a $0 transfer fee. So he's had that option for the past two years. I think what he's doing right now is saying the ultimatum. It's either you or it's me. So from everything I've heard from my friends in Spain, they've said that Bartomeu will resign next month and hold the election for November while the board in transition will try to handle all the summer transfers and things like that. Um, if that doesn't happen, I see Messi leaving. I think he's very serious about it. That will be a day that will shake the football world, I think. Yeah. And I'm excited for him, to be honest. I want him to try something different. Because um, obviously this Barcelona team will take years to build, and he doesn't have that. Yeah. And it's now or never, right? Yeah, it, yeah it's now or it's never. Now or never. Sib, you don't you don't reckon uh, Messi would come to the Premier League, do you? I remember we spoke um, about this off there. I can only see two teams that he could join. Yeah, I think I think we we talked about this. Like, there are teams out there in Europe that can afford Messi's wages, but as I told Z before, like, how many of them actually want to? Because I don't see him joining like the likes of Man City, for example. Like, they yeah. could afford it, but. Given like how rigid they are in their structure and how they manage club finances, like FFP aside and everything, they're not looking to like bring on an aging player on such high wages. I could see him going to more like a, a PSG. Like I think that kind of club suits him more. I, I think they would be able to afford him as well. I think so, but uh, I don't think that he would uh, go to a Premier League for the wages. I don't think he'll match try to match his wages that he has in Barcelona. I don't think any team would be able to match almost 1 million a week. So you think he'd take a wage cut? Oh, definitely. He's, he's a millionaire. I don't think he needs any more money from a team. He makes enough money from Adidas. Um, I see him playing for Klopp or I see him playing for United. Those are the two teams I can see him in. in don't talk dirty league. to me. This is a family show. Uh, <laughs> uh, definitely Liverpool. 
I can see in a 4-3-3 him being the attacking three in midfield. Uh, and you have Salah, Firmino, and uh, Mane playing. And I can see him at Man United uh, in a 4-2-3-1. He can just sit uh, on the right-hand side and Fernandez is in the middle. I, I think it would be a great understudy for Mason Greenwood. I think that's uh, what I'm dreaming of. <laughs> so FIFA 21, wet dream. <laughs> Pressure, you're putting uh, pictures in my mind. I can't imagine it, honestly. Like you're selling yeah. like such a big uh, dream. Uh, you know? I, <laughs> I, I, I'm a I, I'm a dreamer, and I I want to I want this to happen for him so bad because he's been the icon of Barcelona for so long after Ronaldinho, and I've been a fan at a point where yeah, where Barcelona were nothing. When I started following, I just used to watch them. They would win some. They ended up in fifth, sixth, finishing, and all of a sudden Ronaldinho came. And then right after, this little kid came who scored a hat trick against Real Madrid, and I was like, "Who is this guy?" And since then, going around, there was a quote going around Del Bosque telling uh, Zinedine Zidane, "When I came to Real Madrid, all Barcelona used to celebrate was uh, their club birthday." Yep, (laughs) Uh, uh, pretty much true. And I think once Ronaldinho and Messi, even Pep Guardiola said, "I, "I think I won the Champions League because of the great players I had, not because I was a great coach." That's his typical uh, Pep man trying to play it the is, media. But but if you think <laughs> about it, that that those combination of players, we don't even try to get those combinations anymore. We we just see that combination of Xavi, Iniesta, all these little guys that no one thinks that are going to be dominated by six foot men, all these Goliaths of football. But they they just ran circles around them. It was that easy for three, them. Three steps and, ahead in their in their heads and on the yeah, pitch. Yeah, I think I think. We'll never be able to do that again. Uh, I have hopes for Ansu Fati. 19 years old. Uh, 17 years old. 19 goals. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so Trish, question for you is like, if Messi does leave this summer and with the current Barcelona squad that you have, who, who do you build around? If you, like, let's say you're head of recruitment, for example. Like, who would you build around in that squad? Ter Stegen. If you're if you're saying Messi leaves, uh, yeah. I would I would build the entire team around uh, Ter Stegen, of course, Clement Langlais, and Frankie De Jong. That's it. Yeah, De Jong looks like the only player that is actual Barcelona caliber uh, from the young guns at the uh, moment. Looking at this guy who just came a year ago, screaming yeah. at Jordi Alba and PK and telling Suarez to get back. Uh, he has a lot of character that we haven't had at Barcelona in a long time. And it reminds me of Brandon Williams when I saw little Williams yelling at players, telling them to come back. We haven't had that leadership since Puyol left or Victor Valdez left. We haven't had that. Yeah, that game against Bayern lacked like immense amount of leadership, honestly. Like, I didn't see anyone they, react. They, they looked lost. There, there was, I think, about four of those Bayern goals was just... Pure ball watching. There was four Barcelona oh, players yeah. left in the wake of Bayern's counter. Like you know, when I knew that the game was lost, when Alaba scored that own goal and he was laughing. <laughs> when when he got up and he was smiling and laughing, I knew that they were just gonna go on and whack. Thomas Muller was just laughing around like he was playing in a park. Lewandowski was a little bit serious, but Diago was back at beating his old team and he was just enjoying passing the balls around all these great players that he used to play with and to me it was just shocking it was shocking that i saw my team lose 8-2 but at the same time i'm not shocked at all because this is the result of 10 years of destroying the club 
regressively. Yeah, I mean, I think last episode you you predicted a 2-0 win uh, if you were to. <laughs> yeah, I, you know what's funny? Uh, I looked at the lineup and I saw a 4-4-2. That is the same lineup we have lost against Roma and Liverpool when we went to Anfield. And, uh, and I saw uh, Vidal playing uh, as a... F- <laughs> it just makes me laugh. Vidal... <laughs> <laughs> Sergio Roberto and Samedo playing with Vidal playing um, and leaving Messi and Luis Suarez. And I've talked about Suarez. He's, he's a giant cake. He, <laughs> he he's scored. just a cake. Scored. <laughs> he, he scored after 18 games uh, in the Champions League. That's horrendous. And this guy starts for Barcelona. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's absolutely who, who, insane. Who else, who else would you start up top for Barcelona? I, in, in that lineup, I would have played Ansu Fati instead of Vidal. I would have played a 4-3-3, so you have more width in the entire game. Against this Bayern side, you're going to put a 17-year-old on? Against yeah, this I, well-oiled German engineering? It, it would have, I can tell you the score wouldn't have been 8-2. Yeah, it probably would have been 7-1. Because if you have that much, <laughs> that, that, if you have that much width uh, and if you're attacking constantly, I think after the first half, Barcelona didn't have any attacks going forward. Maybe no, one no, or two. They, they, yeah, they couldn't. They couldn't get a kick on the ball. Really, they were just. It was. It, it looked like a training session for Bayern in the second half. Honestly, it was. Yeah, it was yeah. shocking. Like you said, that I think that's a perfect I think, word. I think playing with the width of a four-three-three, like what Pep Guardiola used to exploit with Thierry Henry and Eto and everyone, when you stretch the field, it's going to be very hard for them to pressure because they were high pressing. What are they going to yeah. do? Just run around the player as soon as I the mean, ball is gone. When I saw PK kind of sprinting for his life and chasing balls down to tackle, oh, uh, yeah. that, was, that was when I knew this doesn't look good for Barcelona. I mean, you guys, that Bayern team were stretching you and taking you places that you didn't have visas for. Like, they were making you very uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. they, they absolutely uh, took you guys for a walk in the dog park. And it was, it, I mean, at, at times, obviously, it was entertaining. It was beautiful, incisive, and like stunning football from Bayern. But to watch a team with, these players that you've seen kind of excel at the top level for La, in La Liga and Champions League over the years. And of course, Messi, who I think any football fan, regardless of whether you're a Cristiano fanboy or, or, or not, you have a great admiration and respect for. If you love the game, you have to respect Messi. But I mean, he was, he was invisible. And I think, I, I don't think anything is deserved. I think everything that Messi's accomplished in his career is, is a credit to him and the teams he's played, played in and the managers he's played for. But Obviously, his quality goes a long way, and any team with Messi has a big chance. But yeah, it remains to be seen how these things will uh, continue for Barcelona going forward. You know, as a Sevilla fan, you know, Barcelona has caused me a lot of heartbreak, and especially Messi. Uh, but, but honestly, I do think Barcelona does rely too much on Messi in, me- in more than one way. Uh, both tactically on the ground, you feel that everyone's just waiting for Messi to come up with the solution. Uh, and even the fans, you always hear this. I don't know if it's a, if it's a misconception or if it's just a rumor, but when, when Messi calls the shots or the managerial shots, it really does sound really weird. Uh, and they make it seem that Messi has this supreme control over who's playing and who doesn't play and, and who he likes and doesn't like. And that cannot be healthy for the team. Takes player power to a whole different level. Exactly, and, and I don't think he enjoys it. I, I don't know. I don't know him personally, but I just can't imagine him enjoying. Like that the man comment. doesn't really strike you as a natural leader either, does he? I think he leads by example. 
yeah, but he's not he, he's not like a Carlos Puyol or even arguably an Eva Banega, like leaders of men. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I wouldn't look at him. I mean, that's more of someone that has a managerial role, and I don't think Messi does have a managerial uh, presence. Yeah, presence to him. Yeah. Uh, and just before, like, just to throw it in there, I really feel bad for Griezmann because as much as you know, he might have been an unnecessary uh, purchase, but he performed much better than I would say Eden Hazard or uh, or even Joe Felix performed this season for yeah, the price. God, he still did okay. It wasn't terrible. Yeah, I think he did. He provides a lot of defensive help, and he did a lot of assists and goals in important matches. But of course, he's the scapegoat, right? When you pay so much money for it, why are you not scoring fifty goals? But like, it's yeah, not why are you not scoring fifty goals? You're too busy playing Fortnite with Martial. Yeah, it's it, it's not his fault that the board is stupid enough to pay that much money for him, or for Coutinho, or for Dembele. Uh, I mean, if you feel bad about it, know that Hazard, I think he got one assist this whole season or one goal and one assist. Yeah, Hazard. Season, yeah. And he was 100 something million, 140 million or 120 million, I can't remember. Crazy. I, mean, I, can't, I can't rejoice for, I mean, they're both great teams. I can't say that Real Madrid, I, I can't be happy for them that they wasted their money. But in the end, I think we have to look at our own and we have to do some our own housekeeping and. Barcelona has been just running rampant outside of the field. The now they're looking to sell the Camp Nou rights to a Catalonian company for I don't know how much, so they can get some money to balance the book. It's it's honestly sad what uh, Laporta had built for this entire club and turned it around, and they just destroyed it within seconds. Going going forward into the Champions League, though, uh, how do you how, do you guys think uh, the Farmers Leagues are on the rise with two French uh, semi-finalists in uh, PSG and Lyon? Mbappe thinks so. Mbappe seems to think he did uh, that famous tweet. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Just quick question for Trish, by the way, before we move on to the the Champions League fixtures next uh, in a few days. Uh, Trish, so Setien's been sacked. If you had your pick, uh, who do you want to manage Barcelona next? Uh, I would go for Pochettino any any day. He, he's he's the only one available right now. Xavi said no, and I'm hoping Pochettino comes in and puts some sense into this board. And he takes Louis control. Van Gaal. Louis Van Gaal. I, I don't I don't know if he would take the job with this. Guardiola. Nah. Neither would Guardiola. All these coaches, even if like Arsene Wenger was available, he would he said no because he knows <laughs> what's going on at this club. Uh. No, yeah, Wenger would hate it there, man. Like he, he, he hates being told what to do. Uh, the Barcelona elections are coming up, aren't they? Like they are. Well, yeah, they're the election's <laughs> supposed to be next year, but right now there's a vote of no confidence. So hopefully it goes through, and um, if Bartomeu resigns by next month, we will have an election. I'm hoping for Victor Font or Laporta to win it. Those are the only two good candidates, and one Bartomeu's candidate is running. If he wins, then it's back to the same shit. He's just going to hire the same board and we'll be back to the same next 10-year cycle. The fall and fall of FC Barcelona. Yeah. I'll be yeah. bald by then. I'll be Pep Guardiola's <laughs> assistant. <laughs> All right. So let's, let's, let's talk about who's through now the Champions League. We've got RB Leipzig playing Paris and Lyon are going to keep playing Bayern. Uh, score predictions, boys? Uh, I reckon Bayern are going to butter their toast and cut off the crusts. I think they're going to smash him. Yeah, I'm honestly, yeah, I'd be scared if I was Leon after watching that Barcelona game. 
I mean, credit to Leon, they, they out-tacticked uh, City again, but firing a whole different kettle of fish, man. I'm going to go out and say 2-1 Leon. I like that, Gene. <laughs> I, I, I'll tell you why, though. I'll tell you why. Leon is going in this Champions League with everything they got. They're not qualified to the next year. Uh, unfairly so, honestly. But I think they're going to go in and surprise the shit out of everyone. I'm, I'm hoping to kick out the Farmers League. Um, <laughs> I, I, I think uh, PSG will make it to the final. If they do, then Bayern will oh, no trash them. No chance, bro. The way they played against Atlanta. If they play like that, they're going to be put to the sword. Definitely. Um, they were lucky. I, I would say, I, I would give it a Bayern to win it all. Yeah, that team. I think dangerous. they're my favorites too. If, if they make the final, of course, Jeet. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't discount Leon's chances, but I just think this Bayern side are probably a tier above anything else in world football at the moment. Yeah, and uh, like I said, I'd never discount Leipzig. They're an amazing team. Um, Nagelsmann. And uh, your boy Adams, New York. I, I would love a, a German final. Uh, hopefully, they don't do the same mistake as Dortmund every time. But uh, yeah, Leipzig and Bayern final. That would be interesting. And give it to Inter to it's win. It's the it first time. I think it's the first time we've had uh, no English or Spanish semifinalists in a good the while. last ten. Yeah, ten. Yeah, at least a decade. Yeah, Crazy. at least a decade or more. Because uh, last time it was. Uh, yeah, English side made it, but Spanish side has yeah. always dominated. But yeah, it's crazy. We talked about the downfall of a Spanish team and Barcelona showed the downfall. <laughs> I mean, yeah, United were the last British side left in Europe, uh, which, is, which isn't a testament to our quality. I think it's more so just the uh, scheduling. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I think uh, English football is on a rebuild. The German football seems to be doing their business correctly going about developing their footballers and French football surprising everyone and uh, throwing that farmer's tag right back at us bring as many immigrants as you can and see if they can run fast <laughs> behave like we've underestimated the, the, the French league for a while man because like if you've been looking at the like past few like transfer windows a lot of players are coming from that league you know yeah yeah definitely look I credit Lyon okay Fair enough. I agree with Jeet. I think they have a great setup, some real quality players. It's a well put together side. But PSG, man, like that's that's a squad built with like four hundred million. Uh, more than and, that. And, Many and more than they signed. They, they signed, yeah, they signed Neymar for two hundred twenty million or whatever the figure really was. Uh, and Atalanta almost put them away, and they just, they should have put them away if if it wasn't for a lack of experience and uh, you know that final cutting edge, but. Yeah, I, I honestly don't think... I don't see PSG going to the final. And if they do, I don't see them winning it. That's what I didn't want Sevilla... When Sevilla scored that second goal, if they had sat back and just defended, I think Man United would have gotten a goal to tie it up. And Atlanta made the same mistake. They just sat back and, you know, it just took one substitute, Chupa Moting coming on and Neymar just pulling some strings and making it work. The West Brom goal merchant. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, either way, I think we all agree here that I think Bayern are the favorites to win it. Yeah, yeah definitely. I think, yeah, the way they dispatched uh, Barca, yeah. And with the Europa, honestly, I'm going to go with Shakhtar Donetsk to win it. I'm going to go really? with Inter Milan. Yeah, man. Honestly, because Shakhtar, I've noticed, like, once, if they can get that first goal, they can get retaking, honestly. I, I think they have enough threat moving forward. 
I think Inter has too much quality to uh, if their midfield is solid, then uh, I think Lukaku and Latoura Martinez will finish the job. What should be Alexis Sanchez? Score a hat trick. Him as well. I, I think if Lukaku keeps doing his body work, then Latoura and Alexis have all the space. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I, this inter interside plays very much like Conte's Chelsea did. Um, with you know, uh, back five and countering with real menace and power. Uh, but it will be interesting to see how Shakhtar kind of adjusts their approach to the game. But I, I, I honestly think Inter will edge it just based on quality and um, a good system that Antonio Conte has put together. I'll be singing Ashley Young's name all night. <laughs> I think it's going to be very tough. I, I don't know, honestly, who would win between those two. I, I would give maybe Inter a little bit more of the edge in terms of you know the quality of players, but Shakhtar has performed very well in the Europa League, so it's really hard to tell. Who would you rather face as a Sevilla fan? Mm. Ah, I have no idea, man. Honestly, like Shakhtar... Look, we've beaten Ukrainian teams in the final as well, like twice already. So I wouldn't be opposed to having Shakhtar Donetsk uh, as a good luck charm. Right. Uh, I don't think we've beaten an Italian team in the final before. So just as a superstition, I would go for Shakhtar Donetsk. Smart answer, I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, we'll have to wait and see. So uh, that's all the time we have for tonight. Thank you guys so much for joining us. Please, uh, guys, follow uh, Trishal and uh, Jeed on their socials. Uh, we'll be adding those, those links in the description below. And uh, that's all for us from the Armchair Managers. Thank you guys so much. Thank you for having us. Until the next time, guys. Cheers. Thank you. Vamos, Pisa Villa.